very, very brief introduction of Spiros Makouris, um, because I'm sure you know all about him. Um, very famous for having coordinated the first cultural capital of Europe in Athens in 1985, and I can't think of anywhere more appropriate to hold that. Uh, he is now the honorary president of the network of cultural capitals and cultural months of Europe. Uh, he is also, and at this point I have to reveal a very deep secret, which is that he is not the only famous member of his family. <laughs> he, he is also a member of the board of directors of the Melina Makuri Foundation. And, and this is a project very close to my heart, and I know to David Blackman's as well, he played a major role in the rebirth of the Greek trireme. Uh, Spiros is speaking on the, the general theme, the power of culture and the continuing influence of Melina Makori. I think he'll probably elaborate the title slightly in beginning to speak. Um, the idea for this evening is that we start off with Spiros speaking. We will then have a short film. I think the, I hope that we can end that stage of proceedings at about 6.15, which will allow at least half an hour for questions and answers. Uh, and then I believe that we can repair for a libation upstairs at, at 6.45. So without further ado, Spiros, over to you. Thank you, Sir David, for your kind words. And today's event has been mainly organized and funded by the Greek society. I wish to thank Dr. Othon Anastasakis, the director of Southeast European Studies, and the administration, Ms. Julie Adams. I also wish to thank Sir David Magan, the former British ambassador to Greece, who has kindly agreed to chair the talk. Melina had a many-sided personality. She was an actress, resistant fighter, and politician. Melina loved Greece. During her entire life, she wished Greece to be honored and respected. As a little girl, she acted in front of the mirror various roles. Her family was against her becoming an actress, especially her grandfather, Spiros Mercouris, who was the mayor of Athens for 24 years and who Melina adored. She secretly sat for the entrance exams to the drama school of the National Theatre. She succeeded and passed with flying colors. She acted in 47 plays, including comedies, musicals, dramas, and tragedies. Melina performed the role of Medea in the play by Euripides. She showed Medea not like some vindictive and jealous woman, but like a proud woman scorned. Euripides expressed prophetically the position of women in this tragedy. Back to the sources flow the sacred rivers. The world and morality are turned upside down. The hearts of men are treacherous. The voice of time will change, and our glory will ring down the ages. Womankind will be honored. No longer will ill sound repute be attached to our sex. The film director, Michael Kakoyanis, asked her to take the leading role in his film, Stella. This film was a turning point in Melina's life 
and a milestone of the Greek cinema. Melina acted in 19 films with international success, most memorable, Astella, He Who Must Die, Fedra, Tokapi, and Never on Sunday. At the Cannes Film Festival in the 1960s, Melina was awarded the first prize for the film Never on Sunday. In 1967, Melina was performing on Broadway the musical Ilya Dali. She learned that a military coup had just taken place in Greece and that the colonels had established a dictatorship. In the evening, Whilst acting, she stopped the performance and addressed the audience thus. To die, something terrible has happened in my country, Greece, where democracy was born. A dictatorship has been established. Your government has some responsibility for this. You are a democratic people, and I am sure that you will help the return of democracy to Greece. She then turned and continued acting her role. All the audience stood up and applauded. After a few days, a British journalist from the Evening Standard telephoned her at the crack of dawn and said, Mr. Patakos, the Jonas Minister of the Interior has taken away your Greek nationality. Melina replied, I was born Greek and I will die Greek. Patakos was born a fascist and he will die a fascist. The next day, all the international press had this incident as front page news. At once, Melina began her political campaign against the junta. The decision was that as soon as she had finished her theatrical obligation, she would return to Europe. Melina visited 14 countries during her campaign against the colonists. In Vienna, she was greeted by the Vice President of the Council of Europe, Bruno Bittermann. In West Berlin, by Mayor Schulz. In Sweden, by Prime Minister Erlander and by the Minister of Education, Olof Palme. In London, she addressed a huge crowd at Trafalgar Square. In Paris, she spoke at the municipality of the city. In all the countries, she was welcomed by politicians, famous artists, journalists, Greeks living abroad, and by people everywhere. In Genoa, a bomb was planted in the hall where she was due to speak. Luckily, it was spotted just in time. She was taken to the courtyard before it exploded. People began to leave. Marina went to the microphone and called. Where are you going? I haven't told you what I want to say. And calmly, she began to speak. Everyone cheered. When the Junta fell, Melina immediately returned to Greece. The welcome she got from the people was tremendous. She was a candidate for parliament for Piraeus. 
She was elected triumphantly and became Minister of Culture in 1981. Her first act as minister was to visit the British Museum, which houses the Parthenon marbles. There, she took the decision to begin an international campaign for the return of the Parthenon marbles to Greece. The Parthenon marbles are a potent symbol of democracy and part of the Greek heritage and pride. Melina made the Greek demand internationally known. UNESCO voted and with a sweeping majority adopted the resolution to return the Parthenon marbles to Greece. All opinion pools in Europe and especially in Britain support the return. After Melina's death, the Melina Mercury Foundation and I continued her works and visions. With the collaboration of the Ministry of Culture of Greece, we organized an exhibition with the title The Unification of the Parthenon Marbles, a Cultural Must. The exhibition has been shown at the Athens Concert Hall, at UNESCO in Paris, at the Council of Europe in Strasbourg, and at the historic municipality of Frankfurt. The exhibition shows with precision and exact detail the damage caused by Lord Elgin and his assistants. Different colors are used to show which reliefs are in the British Museum and which are, <coughs> and which are in Athens. In this way, one can see in what condition the sculptures of the Parthenon are in today. It must be emphasized that Melina never intended to empty the museums of the world of Greek treasures and antiquities, such as the Aphrodite of Milos, the Nike of Samothrace, and others. Melina recognized the need to build a new Acropolis Museum with the latest technologies to display the Parthenon sculptures. Now the museum is ready. The creation of the Museum of the Acropolis is a dream that has become a reality, a dream which began with Melina and has been materialized by the state. A museum which honors Phidias Ictinus and which is a fitting home to display this unique collection of unsurpassed beauty and value. Melina's thoughts for the creating of the new Museum of Acropolis included the transformation of the area and thus she began an important plan for the unification of the archaeological sites of Athens. A four-kilometer walk will join the Academy of Plato with Panathinaic Stadium. With the creation of the unification of the archaeological sites, an important archaeological part of the Athenian landscape is now in the process of change. Melina believed in cultural decentralization 
And so she organized in 16 towns of Greece local municipal theaters, which have become the center of the towns and are the focal point of art and culture. Melina asked herself why, when she was a child, she was such a bad pupil. In the end, she realized that lessons in class simply were not interesting to her. The reason being that the teacher did not have a way to communicate with the pupil and to make the class and lessons interesting. She decided to create a program which she called Melina Education Culture, which was integrated exper experimentally in 182 schools. The aim was to change the way of teaching so that there would be a better contact and communication between teacher and pupil. The greatest achievement of Melina as a minister of culture was to put on the lips of the foreigners the word Greece and on the lips of the Greeks the word culture. But what is culture and civilization? There are many definitions of culture, but let's say the most simple one. Speech, poetry, literature, theater, music, dance, fine arts, architecture, science, and care of the environment are expressions of culture. They create culture. However, the meaning of culture is much wider and deeper. Civilization are formed by what man has said and done since thousands of years ago and which, up to now, have been accepted and absorbed by societies and peoples and have been added to in their traditions, habits, thoughts, creations, actions, and memories. Culture absorbs from the past, molds the present, and shapes the future. Culture exists in all our doings, in all our activities. It is knowledge, education, behavior, freedom of expression, constructive dialogue, responsibility, understanding, and respect for the diversity and the opinion of others. It is creation, quality, and a way of life. Geography and climate have always played a crucial role in the development of culture and civilizations. The characteristics of the Greek natural environment form the Greek character. Greek light, inspiration, imagination, sharp mind, inventiveness, creation, joy of life, storm, hard work, tough life, tragedy, endurance, survival. C, the journey, adventure, communication, trade, exchange of ideas, experience, worldwide knowledge. Know thyself, golden mean, cultivation of mind and body, well-being, freedom of expression, the power, wealth, clarity, and flexibility of the Greek language 
created the Greek anthropocentric culture. When Melida became Minister of Culture in 1981, the first thing she asked was when would she meet with her counterparts of the European community. The European community, a commercial and economic community up to that point, had not given special attention to its cultural dimension and cultural ministers met informally. Marina McCurry gathered all the community cultural ministers together in order to submit to them the following question. How is it possible for a community which is deprived of its cultural dimension to grow? And continued, our role as ministers of culture is clear. Our responsibility a must. Culture is the soul of society. Therefore, our foremost duty is to look at the foundations and nature of this community. This does not mean that we should impose our ideas. On the contrary, we must recognize the diversity and the differences amongst the people of Europe. The determining factor of a European identity lies precisely in respecting this diversity with the aim of creating a dialogue between the cultures of Europe. It is time for our voice to be heard as loud as that of the technocrats. Culture, art, and creativity are not less important than technology, commerce, and the economy. Berina proposed to the Ministers of Culture to designate each year a European city as a European cultural capital. The proposal was unanimously accepted, and the institution of European cultural capital was created, with Athens being chosen as the first European cultural capital for the year 1985. Melina's initiative in 1983 to set each year a European city as cultural capital of Europe had enormous significance because she made culture an essential factor in everyday community life. Melina and her assistants were especially anxious that the event of European cultural capitals should not be a festival, but a meeting place for discussion, exchange of ideas and communication, where artists, intellectuals, and scientists would bring their work and efforts together towards the promotion of European thought. To be a tool which would allow the citizens of Europe to be more than mere spectators, to participate, to understand, to feel, to define and shape new ideas and relationships in the process for a politically unified Europe. As a result, the network of European cultural capitals was formed to link former, current, and future European capitals of culture. 
Its aim was to serve the institution of European capitals of culture and thereby deepen the understanding of Europe's cultural diversity. The network organized European projects and kept records of all cultural capitals. But what are the conditions we live in today? During the last decades, politics have been trapped and forced into a speculative logistic economy and so have lost the distinctive way and orientation. The economic crisis has pushed Europe into a negative downward economic spiral not felt since World War II. Today, the institutions of Europe in the European Union are under challenge. There is a crisis in the very idea of Europe, not just economic, but also political. The crisis can be explained by the way in which the idea of Europe has been betrayed, and as the word Europe has for many people stopped meaning their shared home and cultural space. Europe, with economic measures it has imposed, has come to be seen by many Europeans as a threat to themselves. The reason is that this economic ideology takes no account of what should be the focus of every economic ideology, which is human beings and the full range of social, cultural, and psychological needs. Europe is first and foremost a civilization that exists in a single cultural and geographic space and which has existed in that space for thousands of years. Greeks are the first who offer to Europe art, philosophy, education, and democracy. Throughout history, Europeans have been aware that they share similar cultural values which reflect the reality that they all belong to one civilization. This, of course, is not to deny that Europe is a civilization of many different nations and people, each with their language and history, their own specific characteristic and their own achievement, of which each has a right to be proud. Any European construction has to take the account of this rich diversity, which is a source of strength and not of weakness. To deny, however, that Dante, Shakespeare, Goethe, and Voltaire were Europeans, at the same time as they were Italian, English, German, and French, is to deny the truth. To admit this truth is also to recognize that Europe's true foundation and true center is in the cultural achievement that produced the likes of Dante, Shakespeare, Goethe, and Voltaire and not economic systems. Jean Monnet, the arch-Europeanist who since 1946 headed 
the planning of France envisioned a United States of Europe. Monet said, Europe will not be built all at once as a complete structure, but will emerge slowly from concrete achievement, creating a solidarity between member states. And he declared that he would begin with culture as the foundation of European integration. Today, developed countries of the world form a global village. Never in the history of mankind has there ever existed such easy contact. Each country at each continent is in constant communication. But it is doubtful if such communication promotes a straightforward and constructive dialogue between peoples and civilizations. Hostility and excessive competitiveness breed conflict and aggravation. Religious fanatism, nationalism, and racism are spreading. The problems of the minorities are growing. Unemployment is on the rise. Wars and local rebellions are on the increase and without an end in sight. We live in a time that is dominated by cynicism, mistrust, insecurity, corruption, fear, terror, and in which the pursuit of money corrupts and changes the characters of people. Milton Friedman, the renowned economist and a member of a group of like-minded economists who called themselves the Chicago School, who was a believer in extreme economic neoliberalism, which was introduced in the socioeconomic life in the United States and Europe. This school, played a contributory role in Pinochet's dictatorship, in Chile, in Suharto's Indonesia, as well as in other countries, and was influential in the corruption imposed on Russia during the time of Yeltsin. This Chicago School economist believed that the international central banks should be the ultimate dominant power without interference from the elected members of parliament who represent the political parties and the people. Milton Friedman often used to say jokingly that if it was in his hands, the central banks would rely totally on economic science meaning that giant computers would be in total control without human supervision. This is no longer a joke. The hard truth being that this is what is gradually happening. These theories developed by Roger Reagan Margaret Thatcher, and especially George Bush Jr., Vice President Dick Cheney, and the Fed Secretary Donald Rumsfeld, resulted in the disastrous war and tragedy of Iraq and have led into the ensuing 
turmoil of the Middle East. In Europe, Merkel, Schäuble, and Sarkozy have continued with this policy with the unfortunate results. It is a misconception and perhaps even a deliberate mistreatment to infer that the present economic crisis originated in Greece. The crisis has come about from an obsessive Western European policy to support and promote a monetaristic economic system which protects the security of the money market. Unfortunately, with today's political, economic, and social relations, the transnational capital, which is imperceptible, controls and checks the world economy. It has formed an invisible pyramid of money that arranges the economic policy. The rating agencies, Fitch, Moody's, and Standard Poor's have become the arbiters of the economy of the Western world. Nominal, nominal money has become a product and an object of speculation and so creates an enormous social and economic gap between people and the policies of the centers of economic powers. This is serious and dangerous. The gap must be narrowed. The technocratic soullessness and the statistical account method of the economy are unacceptable. They maintain a uniform mass culture which flattens everything. Every spiritual quest and the joy of life have been pushed aside. Can you whistle at you? No, you can't. Where are Thuthrakis, Hadzidakis, Loisos, Xarchakos, Avopoulos, and so many others? This is true, not only Greece, but also in France, Italy, Britain, Germany, America, throughout the Western world. Where are Piaf, Breath, Ponton, The Beatles, Bob Dylan, John Baez, Sinatra? Instead, we have the mediocrity of the Eurovision Song Contest. In poetry, literature, theater, where is Elitis, Seferis, Kazantzakis, Sartre, Simone de Beauvoir, Albert Camus, Arthur Miller, Olby, Peter Hall, Peter Brook, Brecht, Gunther Grass? All this and many others made us think, live, have concern, feel, and love. I'm not saying that there are no events and performances. In numbers, many but few with zest, quality, depth, and inspiration. Greece has been used as a guinea pig. Harsh measures have followed one after the other. There has been no constructive plan. A potential development for growth does not exist. All this has exhausted the social stamina of the people. Now Greece has been given an opportunity. The people of Europe are rebelling and protesting against a system which is too harsh and too hard. 
the French presidential victory of François Hollande has given a sense of hope and optimism for a change in direction. In the last elections in Germany, states such as North Rhine-Westphalia are reversing Merkel's policy. At last, there is a glimmer of change for a more favorable climate. If those in Greece who signed the memorandum and those who resisted it were able to join together in the common aim of finding a way to re-examine the memorandum, it could be a victory for Greece and for Europe. Unfortunately, a government has not yet been formed. We are going to new elections, but I am sure that on the 70th June elections, Greece will have a government. What Greece needs, as many believe and support, is a new Marshall Plan to reconstruct the administrative infrastructure, to regain credibility and to immediately launch a program for redevelopment. Greece needs a bold new approach for funding and a new way of thinking. Let us not forget that Germany with the Marshall Plan was awarded a huge benevolent economic assistance for her reconstruction, industrialization and development. The truth is that today's Europe with a stifling economic policy is not sensitive and has not a feeling of conscious solidarity for her member states. But people have. It was wonderfully encouraging to see people in Europe, America and Australia waving banners with the motto, we are all Greeks, and thus declaring the solidarity and support for us. This slogan, emphasizes the certainty that without Greece there can be no true Europe, for Greece is the cradle of European civilization. Also, it was a, a way of showing the fear that this European policy can force us all into the same boat in, it, in which Greece finds herself in at present. We must finally understand what, when there is an increase in material goods which is not followed with a parallel development of ideas and values, then the lifestyle created flattens every cultural creation and is doomed to wither and decline. If people are squeezed dry, no development can be achieved and hope for a better life will fade. Financial programs and decisions must always consider the human factor. This is a protest and a demand for more humanity and more culture. A system such as the current one, which ignores this position and these feelings, cannot in the long run survive and will lead to a rupture between its people. The people will become resentful and more crises will be repeated, eventually growing and spreading. 
It is absolutely necessary to move into a new era where education and culture will have a central role in politics, society, and the economy. To overthrow this system and to succeed cannot come only from the demands of the trade unions and the guilds. It must aim at a more general political will for a progressive redistribution of wealth with social justice. People must be aware of the need for this change. But to do this, there must be understanding, enlightenment, and courage. To develop, we must adapt ourselves to reality, to use the means that contemporary conditions offer to us, and to function in a way that we can convince others in the importance and power of culture for the development of societies, and to convince them that culture is not an abstract idea that occupies only the intellectuals. We must appeal to people from all walks of life. We have to ask the thinker, the writer, the artist, and all citizens to give answers and a new meaning and purpose to the condition and demands of our time. The wealth of Greece is its culture. In Greece, at every meter you walk, every step you take, Wherever you bend and dig, culture wells out. A culture of thousands of years. A culture that has created, that has not been surpassed, and which continues to create. You can count on the fingers of one hand the people who still survive and have a memory of more than 5,000 years. The power of Greek culture is its duration. Greek culture is universal. It is anthropocentric because man, whatever happens, goes ahead. It is his destiny. Culture is horizontal. Culture is at the center of our social, economic, and political life. You must believe in the productivity of culture and to invest in it. For example, in September 2011, I spoke in Beijing at a forum with the title Friendship Between Peoples. I proposed that a big forum should be organized for a constructive dialogue between cultures and that this should be undertaken by great China with its huge civilization and by tiny Greece with its colossal civilization. This proposal was accepted by the Chinese and we have commenced to regulate the organizing of the forum, the topics to be discussed, the renowned international personalities to be invited to take part. I feel sure that this will be a big international, political, and cultural event. When the level of culture, education, and intellectual life rises, governments and citizens will understand the problems more easily. They will evaluate the problems better 
and will face life with greater understanding and show greater tolerance for the thinking and acting of other people. Throughout the ages, mankind has consistently sought progress and renewal. In the long history of human civilization, there has been a, soul, a whole series of renaissances, each one making its contribution to moral and intellectual regeneration and to the betterment of the quality of life. If man wants to develop and progress, he must not forget the eternal values that he himself has created. If he wants to dream and sing again, he must create new ideas and values. Man is the driving force. And when man exists, knowledge exists. And where there is knowledge, there is culture. And as Sophocles said in his Antigone, Many wonders there are, and yet none is more wonderful than man. Thank you.